Reading is just a habit you gotta form in all of life. Books don't change people's sentences. Reading good, solid, reform, Puritan literature, reading especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, welcome to the Reformers Bookcast. My name's Tom. I'm the manager here at Reformers Bookshop. We are podcasting from inside our store here in hot Sydney, and it's great to have you along. Uh, with me today is Andrew, uh, my colleague, G'day, and Tom. we have a special guest along, Mark Ernji. Thanks, Thanks for coming along, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks very much. It's good to be the Reformers Bookshop for the Bookcast. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Uh, now, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I uh, am married to the lovely Tanya. We have four children and very little sleep and a high um, consumption rate of coffee. <clears throat> I work at Moore Theological College. I serve there as a, a um, faculty member and I teach uh, various things, mostly uh, church history, doctrine and biblical theology. Excellent. And uh, I saw that your special interest is in the Reformation period. I, uh, I think the Reformers are pretty good, not just because of the name of this bookshop and the bookcast, but, um, but that's my special sort of my area of expertise. What, what do you love about the, the stodgy reformers? Yeah, the stodgy reformers. They're just fantastic. They, um, well, it's just a, it's a cataclysmic time in terms of world history and um, of immense significance, but particularly as they came to rediscover what the Scriptures said about Jesus and how to get right with God through Jesus um, and a whole manner of other great developments that they were involved with. And um, we're just massive beneficiaries of their work. And um, I love reading them. They're the sort of um, theologians that you can read and you read what they have to say and you can't help but have you know, a bit of the fire in the belly yeah, yeah. that these guys had rub off on you. So I, um, I was overseas and I did a, a bunch of research over in England and that was one of my prayers, just that um, some of the reformers' you know, zeal would rub off on me for the Lord Jesus. Yeah? So, Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, well, today, so the concept for, the, for this bookcast is that we each have brought a book along to talk about. Uh, today, it's not a book by any of the reformers. Um, instead, we've got some books that deal with culture, a Christian worldview, and how Christians can engage with the world. Um, so what we'll do is we'll go around our little circle here, and we'll each introduce our book, and then we'll have a chat about them. So why don't you start, Andrew? I was hoping that it wasn't going to make me <laughs> start this off. Um, yeah, so I'm reading, um, I just finished reading a book um, called The Household and the Wealth of the Cosmos, which is by C.R. Wiley, um, which is done by Canon Press, which I really enjoy the works done by Canon Press. Um, they've got a very different and unique style of writing, which is just really engaging. There's very little fluff, they get to the point, but the way that they describe things is just wonderful. Um, I love the language and choice of words that they use. Um, and one of the things about this book um, is actually revolving around the use of words. Okay. Um, because words get lost throughout history. Um, I'm trying to think of some small examples, but um, just when we think of um, what a man is, and his role in the family, and that's one of the things that this book addresses, is it's changed over time. Um, at one time where the father, the husband, was the one who worked, was the head of the household, um, and um, see how Wiley brings it out, that at that time these were family businesses as well, most likely in a farm, 
Um, that was a family economy. Um, I think he uses the word paterfamilias. Do you know what was the um, meaning of that pater, one? Pater, father, familias, family. So oh, the family, there you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. as, as that was just the standard, you know, everyone had their own family-run business. That was the way that they survived. And the family um, was a unit where they had to work together. Um, the work of the father is passed on to the children and the children continue that work. Um, as now we're employed by everyone who's not actually part of our family. Mm. Um, you leave that job, you go to another job. Um, so within the household, the structure changes. What we consider as um, a father and his role in the family as the head of the household changes as well. And we see that with a lot of the feminist movement um, where, and he brings it out too, where the household is eroded, mm. where um, the centrality of the household is removed and it becomes so independent that we lose what it means to be part of family and even to have responsibility within our family. Very good. Um, so where C.R. Wiley has traced the history of the, the family and shown you how cultures changed there, um, Mark, why don't you tell us about what the book that you've brought along and, yeah, sure. and how yeah. that addresses this issue. So this is a book by a bloke called Francis Schaefer. And um, I'm just trying to check what the publication there was. There we go, 1976. Okay, a bit of an so, older one. you know, it doesn't feel like too long ago to some of us, but it is pretty <laughs> old. Um, Francis Schaefer is just this legend of a guy who's with the Lord. And um, when I was converted, sort of around my, when I was almost 21, 20 years old, um, someone put me on a Francis Schaefer. And um, C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer. And, uh, and so this, this was one of the first books I read when I was converted, How um, Should We Then Live? And um, there's also a video series, which is great. If you can get your hands on a video series, hilarious. He's, um, it's like, you know, 70s production, getting around with long knickerbocker socks. Francis Schaeffer's got this great big white goatee. He's just a legend. Anyway, it's, it's a visual feast because he basically traces a whole lot of history throughout the ages, and he's looking at architecture, he's looking at art, he's looking at philosophy, he's looking at um, famous writings, he's looking at famous pieces of poetry, whatever the case is, he's just looking at all these different ways in which um, human societies have reflected sort of deeper-seated beliefs, and he's just trying to track a little bit of the kind of movement um, where societies have um, perhaps gone towards a humanistic, mm. secular humanistic sort of man-centred approach to things and what's happened to that and um, and how has society expressed itself when it's um, grown up and be built on Judeo-Christian um, backgrounds and, and, uh, and sort of foundations. And, he, and he's basically just trying to make a point that actually you, you can't live um, consistently with kind of a uh, the view that people are made up of just energy and, and, and molecules. Um, actually, you need to know the creator and the only way to know the Creator is through His Son, the Father's Son, Jesus Christ, and um, and to be saved through Him. So that's that's basically the gist of what he's really trying to do there. And it's a beautiful book. I mean, Schaefer's one of these guys who um, he's a, he's a generalist, so he's brilliant at a whole lot of different things, which is what really drew me to him because I think I'm a bit of a generalist, really. <laughs> and um, if I do say so myself, oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm really a, a, a what is it? What do they say? I'm a master of yeah, jack of all trades, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, basically that's that's me. <coughs> um, but Schaefer's really interesting because he's at heart an evangelist. Mm. 
He's an apologist for you know the Christian faith and wanting to see people come to know Jesus. And so really it's got this lovely little edge throughout it, which is to say, if you're a Christian, go deeper into that faith and see how the, the whole world makes sense when you know Jesus. Yeah? Um, and if you're not a Christian, well, then have a little reflection on who you are and um, you need to think about why you're in this world and, and, and what this world is. And um, if things aren't making sense for you, think about why that is. It's probably because you're not connected to Jesus. Mm. Um, and that, that's kind of Schaefer's heartbeat. And I love that as a Christian. Yeah? That's great. I think that really fires me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and he does show too how that how art becomes more beautiful and mm. you know, the world the world makes more sense all those things you're talking about when when you are connected into to Christ and God's revelation through Him absolutely yeah I love it I mean it, on the on the cover of the original he's got this great piece of artwork called the Adoration of the Lamb by Jan van Eyck um, which is in the um, Ghent the Ghent altarpiece from the cathedral in Ghent and it's it broken up in different parts of the world now I saw a piece in the Met in New York once but. Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a picture of Revelation with the lamb standing on the throne, the blood pouring out of the side. That's it. Yep, yep. Everyone gathered around. It's just, just this superb picture that says, this is like um, one of the great little pieces. You know? this, is, um, this is beauty yeah. in, its, um, in its best, you know, artistic beauty. But it's, it's more than just artistic beauty. It's beauty because it's Jesus. Yeah, mm. yeah love it. Fantastic. So that's uh, How Should We Then Live? Mm. And the book that I brought along is called The Other World View by Peter Jones. Uh, Peter Jones is, a, is a, I've, I'd never heard of him before, um, before I read this book, but he's one of those guys who all the guys that you know of have read. So R.C. Sproul, John Frame, you know, all these, really? all these top, top guys speak very, very highly of um, Peter Jones. And Peter Jones looks at culture and analyzes it and sees how things have tracked and so in this book um i, I want to say two things about it. the first is that he, he has this view of the world that he calls oneism and twoism uh and that is he says there's only ever two religions one religion believes that everything is one good and evil are, are the same there's only the material world um everything is is one uh and and god's even a part of creation in that sense if there is a god and the other religion is twoism, where there's a distinction as a creator and creation. Um, and so in this book, he shows how throughout history, um, the, the worldview underlying society has shifted and moved between those two views. Um, and really, he drills down into a, a sort of psychological look. Um, he, he uses Carl Jung as a, as a case study. Um, Carl Jung was the... Uh, apprentice to Sigmund Freud, um, but what where Freud was about science and everything being scientific and materialist, uh, Carl Jung brought in this concept of sort of of a pagan spirituality. He was really into the occult and things like that, and so Peter Jones shows how that that psychology um, has undergirded what we see in society and has resulted in um, a, a pagan spirituality. Really, his his argument is that we're now in a pagan worldview when we're living in a world that has, has a pagan world. Um, and so then he shows you how to live in that world, um, which is very helpful. Yeah. So there you go, three books on worldview. What I, th what I thought we could do now is um, we're, these three books are obviously coming at the world from slightly different angles. Um, so I wonder uh, if we could just talk about how how our particular authors, our particular books 
viewed the world um, and, and sort of contrast the differences and bring out some ideas that we, we might see there. Um, so, well, I, I mean, one of the things I'm struck with, with um, Shavers is it's really interesting. It's, it's really looking at Western history. Mm. You know, so Shaver doesn't sort of spend a whole lot of time in, in the, um, you know, the uh, you know, African continent or Chinese history or, you know, it's, it's a sort of a Western history, Eurocentric history. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of um, modern history faculties around the Western world today are sort of poo-pooing the, the Western tradition. Okay. And so that's, that's, that's different. It's a different approach to probably where yeah, you, yeah. you get in a lot of places. So I actually think that's commendable um, and could be really interesting for people who um, maybe just aren't as familiar with the Western tradition. Um, thinking about you know, Greco-Roman backdrops to yeah, yeah. Um, you know, why do we do, where's democracy come from, all these sort of things. Um, and, you that, know, I, I actually found that because I, I had not read anything on the <coughs> Middle Ages before this book. Okay, there you go. Because it's just, it's just a black hole. It's a black hole, that's and, right. Yeah, but yeah. he addresses it, he talks about the way that culture shifted through that period. Again, that's another example of why this book could be really interesting to a lot of people these days. Yeah, yeah. You know, even the word Middle Ages, it, the, the, the designated middle... Says, oh, there's something really interesting before it, something really <laughs> interesting after it. There's this big fat thing in the middle. It's defined by and how uninteresting it is. Yeah, you know, and let's let's also maybe call it the Dark Ages. You know, yeah. and you're like, oh, this is really unhelpful stuff. There's a lot of actually, I mean, in, in a lot of um, uh, faculties around the world, people are rediscovering. There's lots of medievalists yeah. who are saying, actually, there was huge theological and philosophical and uh, cultural um, breakthroughs in the Middle Ages, and so people are rediscovering. So. I think for a lot of people, you know, rediscovering um, just the wealth of intellectual resources in these things, you can just tap into that a little bit with a book like this, but not not because it's a go-to academic book, but because it's a book that will give you a bit of a taster. And the little agenda behind the taster is, you know, think about where God fits in this mm. and think about, you know, the worldview there and think about, you know, Jesus there. So it's a... I, I, I love it. I'm commending this book over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, and sorry, I thought I thought the other interesting thing in terms of how Schaefer came in it rather as opposed to Peter Jones was that he Schaefer's really looking at the results mm. um, in terms of art and things like that, whereas um, Jones and I think even Wiley to an extent are coming at it more as a uh, what's what's undergirding this whole thing. Yes. Um, so it's quite different angles that they're coming at. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, once we've def- worked out by reading these books where culture has shifted over time, we then need to be able to do something with it. I mean, the title of Schaefer's book is How Should We Then Live? It's it's directive. Um, the idea is we've got to do something. Mm. Um, and I thought as I heard each of us just describe these books that it was fascinating how they're, they're sort of coming at different answers to that. Um and so, what what was Wiley's answer for what we should do? What we should do is actually going back to what Scripture says, going back to God's order for His creation in the household. Um, but to do that, we need to understand who God is and what He has decreed, what He has demanded, what He calls us to, and what He says is good. Um, but when you start to um, split the cosmos, and this is where Peter Jones is with oneism and twoism. If you reject that there is a God, reject that there is a creator, then the cosmos is tiny. 
Mm. The cosmos is, it, it's, there's no warmth. There's no joy. You just return to the nothingness that it just consumes. So why would we consider the household to have order if there is no order in creation? That's kind of where I kind of draw from. But he points us back to say that God's order is good and that's what we see in God being a father. God is a father and we have a father in our homes and we work together in the home the same way that we work together in the church. Um, And what he's calling for us to do is to see that that is good Mm. and that the world is trying to destroy marriage. He talks through percentages at the start of the book just to show how different marriage is now compared to when people got married in their 20s or 30s compared to, I think, 50, 80 years ago. Um, The percentages are huge. There's like 50, 60% difference worldwide. Um, People don't value marriage. People don't value the household but so much of scripture is talking about the household. Yeah. Not just the home household, but the household of God. And if we see the household of God as glorious, then our own households should also be seen as good. And, and it's interesting that um, that what, what we should be putting priority on, is, as you're saying, is church and home. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we were talking earlier how even in, in that Ephesians 6 passage that Wiley delves into, he talks about the, you know, Paul talks about the qualification, uh, sorry, the, that he talks about households and mm. and how to how to you know do church together and things like that and even in the qualifications for elders he's mm. you know lifting up the home as this mm. preeminent place and something interesting just to riff on that um, in Schaefer's book where he's talking about the Reformation and um, changing outlook in the Reformation he he calls attention to art Dutch art and um, a lot of the Dutch artworks of the time these beautiful simple um, just wonderfully um, drawn and painted um, pictures of the home hmm. and really basic stuff could be just um, uh, serving up a meal or it could be you know a, a platter of fruit or someone coming home or someone working in the in the field and there's just these beautiful pictures and part of that is saying um, just like you said before Andrew, um, there's a goodness you know recognizing what's what's biblical and right and what sort of fits with the, the grain of the universe is really good. You know, it's actually good. You know, it's beautiful. Um, I think sometimes as Christians we can we can slip into a little thing thinking, oh, it's just it just has to be. It just mm, it just mm. is, okay? Um, and, and while it's true, it's not untrue. It's just so much more. It's good. You know, I, I remember thinking about this when I was um, engaged to be married and Tanya and I um, went and did um, salsa lessons. Now, I'm a terrible dancer. <clears throat> She's very good. I'm terrible. And we went and did salsa lessons. And, and I was just struck by actually like when you've got a, a man and a woman who are you know, dancing together and the, and the husband takes the lead lovingly and um, which I was, you know, he had to learn sometimes. He tries know. to take the lead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. You just got to make sure you don't step on the feet. Yeah. But, you know, one man, one woman um, dancing together beautifully, husbands leading, wives following. And it's not just, it's just, not just because that's what it is, right? It's actually what makes it beautiful. Yeah. You know? So there's actually something about it being beautiful that we've got to appreciate and enjoy and love and um, rejoice in, you know? And, and it is fascinating that 
that is it does seem to be one of the key points at which the the world attacks um they attack marriage and uh, sexuality and and the home as being important as something preeminent and i think P- peter jones i think puts his finger on it a little bit where he talks about uh how some of these big thinkers who brought in these concepts that are undermining civilization what they were really trying to do was get rid of guilt over their sexuality. So they, they wanted to express often their homosexuality and things like that. And so in order to do that free of guilt, they would come up with these ideas or, or they'd buy into these, these pagan philosophies um, that would remove the, the family as something important. Hmm. I mean, there's something to the fact that um, it's hard to live with cognitive dissonance you know, when, when you, the way you think is different to the way that you act mm. and living with that tension. And we all, we all know what that's like because we're all sinners, actually. So even Christians, we struggle, you know, we, we know how we should live, but we don't. So we've got to confess yeah. our sins. And so forth. I yeah. think yeah, that's, a, that's true for, for lots of people. But the choice is whether, you know, we decide to, at the moment, um, reconstruct our ideology around our desires or have our desires reconfigured by what we know to be true. Mm. And which is why each of these books is really great because it's actually saying there's, there's a God, he's spoken, and he's spoken because he wants you to know him and love him and do what's good and beautiful in this world. Um, so don't, don't reconfigure ideology around your own desires. Ask him to have your desires reconfigured around what's right. That's exactly right. And that's uh, one of the underlying things that I saw in all three books as well is that it, at the end of the day it's about authority. What what are you going to live your life based on? What's going to be the foundation of your of your worldview and your life? And uh, Schaefer is very clear. Peter Jones is very clear. And I think C. I. Wiley says it implicitly that it should be scripture. Mm, mm, um, mm. And that that is what the reformers worked out. Well, right? That right. was was so beautiful about their. Yeah, and he does time. say explicitly in here because he's very much saying that we can't understand the cosmos. We can't understand all that there is unless we understand the God who tells us about it, who has created it. Yeah, so revelation. That's it, that's it. I mean, Schaefer has got this beautiful phrase. He's talking about the Reformation, rediscovering the Bible and reworking out how ought we live. And he says at the end of the paragraph, um, man needs not only a God who exists, but a God who has spoken in a way that can be understood. And accepting the Bible as the word of God is that. Yeah. It's mm. good, eh? It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. 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 Well, I th- I think we've had a, a great time discussing these, and I think the take-home really is uh, build your life on Scripture. Uh, live, breathe it, know it, learn about this world based on what God says it is, um, not based on what you feel or what you want or what the world's telling you. Um, pursue holiness, look after your family, all those sorts of things. Well, thanks for joining us, Mark. Uh, thanks, Andrew. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on our podcast. And make sure that you do head to reformers.com.au where all three of these books are available. Um, So head there, check them out, and we have a collection um, ready made so that you can find these videos.